that first year was one of the most humbling experiences I think I've ever gone through. I mean, there were literal days where I would, I was on the verge of tears on the ride home sometimes, or just like, just in practice, just getting my butt handed to me over and over and over again, being this lifelong basketball player who I happen to have an older brother. So I knew it was like to take a, an ass whooping a little bit. So, <laughs> so I at least had that going for yeah. me, but but yeah, I got my butt kicked a lot before I finally started having a little taste of victory and everything like that. But um, big difference between taking one in the basement until he gets bored and getting your ass handed to you for an hour and a half at wrestling practice. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, by multiple people who are yeah. just like, "Come on, toughen up, Buttercup." Mm-hmm. You know. So, welcome back to the Pohada Podcast. As usual, check out at the Pohada Podcast on social media. Rate the show with five stars and share it with a friend. This is a show where we talk about jujitsu with jujitsu people, very often black belts. This show is brought to you by Way of the Tiger Soap Company. If you do a lot of BJJ, you take a lot of showers, and you might as well enjoy the process. Good soap that smells good and supports one of ours as the soap is made by a BJJ brother of mine, Julian. This time around, we've got Gus Kratzky, who's been on the show three times before once to announce his gym, the Burnsville Academy of Martial Arts, then to chat with Mario, and then to chat with Dan. Check those episodes out. But today he's sitting down in celebration of getting his black belt. Huge shout out to the Academy in Brooklyn Center for allowing us to record there, and without further ado, my conversation with Gus. All right, Gus, you're black belt now. Yeah, it's pretty wild. You know, I mean, something that... I long time ago shot decided I wanted to go for obviously I think anyone that starts jiu-jitsu that's kind of the ultimate goal when you're thinking about it but I don't know it for a while there were definitely some hiccups along the way I'd say and finally getting it is a pretty cool feeling and you know being able to receive it here at the academy from Greg and you know just being a part of like this team and everything has been something that I was very very fortunate to find my way here I guess you could say because I don't know. I guess my journey isn't the typical one that most people would have when it came to like how I discovered jiu-jitsu and everything like that. But I mean, I guess it kind of is too. I don't well, know t- you ask. <laughs> t- t- tell me about it. What? What? Well, walk me through it, and then point out what seems atypical to you. How about that? Okay. Well, I guess in terms of not just starting with one person and going all the way from white to black in that sense, so. Um, but feeling, but feeling very fortunate about who I'd end up did encountering along the way and finding my path to get to where I am now. So I guess it was pretty cool because like for me, um, just a little background, like obviously, like I started martial arts as a little kid, you know, I started Taekwondo when I was about six years old and, you know, got to the quote unquote black belt, you know, by the time I was 10 and, you know, went through some, was going through some stuff, family, like my mom had got, was sick with cancer and had passed away by the time I was about nine. And, you know, took a little break from that, but then got back into it in junior high and did it for a couple more years. And then by the time I got to like my freshman year of high school, I was still doing Taekwondo and was, you know, getting back into it pretty substantially. But then I discovered wrestling. Um, I played football and was like, that was my number one thing growing up. Cause for me, I was like, well, I'm going to be in the NFL. I'm going to be a Viking someday. Like who wouldn't be? Yeah. I'm from yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. You know? Well, of course that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was an offensive lineman, but little did I realize that, you know, most teams and colleges aren't looking for a 195 pound center or 190 pound center for that, 
for that matter. So just because you're the biggest guy on your team doesn't mean you're one yeah, of the big guys. Yeah, right? it's it's different when you're a big fish in a small pond. So, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even the biggest guy on my team. I just happened to have been playing the position for a long time and mm-hmm. like I kind of knew it and was you know good at what I could do and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it was, again, a little bit of that thing. I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm from the Twin Cities. I'm from Mankato, you know, a town about, you know, 40, 50,000 people. And so we had, you know, it was fun. I loved growing up there, and it's a great place to live now. I mean, I got family down there and still and everything and a lot of friends. And, you know, we got an affiliate gym down there with Clay, you know, Mark 44 Martial Arts Academy down there and him doing his thing. So I always still get down there every now and then. But um, anyways, so by the time I got to my freshman year, uh, the wrestling coach came into the football team at the end of the season and was saying to all the off- offensive linemen, hey, if you guys want to get better, join the wrestling team. And I was like, really? Is that, is that what we got to do? And I told my dad, and my dad, of course, you know, being a lifelong basketball player, was like, you know, that's, that's going to be pretty tough. Are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I really want to do it. And he goes, well, you got school, and you know, you're still doing taekwondo. I'm like, that's fine. I'll do both. I love it. I love all this stuff. And, and I did that for about a month you know, doing wrestling and, you know, and that was probably that first year was one of the most humbling experiences I think I've ever gone through. I mean, there were literal days where I would, I was on the verge of tears on the ride home sometimes, or just like, just in practice, just getting my butt handed to me over and over and over again, being this lifelong basketball player who I happen to have an older brother. So I knew what it was like to take a, an ass whooping a little bit. So, <laughs> so I at least had that going for yeah. me, but but yeah, I got my butt kicked a lot before I finally started having a little taste of victory and everything like that. But um, big difference between taking one in the basement until he gets bored and getting your ass handed to you for an hour and a half at wrestling practice. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, by multiple people who are yeah. just like, "Come on, toughen up, Buttercup," mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so you, did, you you were doing going to wrestling practice and then still going to taekwondo. Yeah, for oh, about yikes. a month, yikes. and yeah. I. It's funny because I at, at our gym now I got some teenagers that I convinced to join their wrestling team because they want to fight and this stuff and I was like all right well if you want to fight you have to wrestle pretty like, much plain and simple yeah. so and they tried to come in I go you can take some time off you know I I know what you're trying to do right now and I see how exhausted you are wrestling is a martial art in its own right and for anyone that says it differently they're just kind of foolish i think because it's also a fitness class exactly like you're not just <laughs> practicing forms man you're, you're doing oh, it for real yeah i mean well that's any combative martial mm-hmm. art i think you got mm-hmm. wrestling judo you know yeah. jiu-jitsu boxing wrestling you know muay thai mma all of them like anything that you can actually get out there and contest it that's something you should be gravitating towards too mm-hmm. so right. but anyways so yeah did the wrestling did taekwondo for a little bit took a break from taekwondo Wrestled throughout the rest of high school and stuff. Wasn't ever good enough to like go much with it. I was about a 500 wrestler by the time I got to varsity and stuff like that. But gone from like losing like almost every match my first year, you know, on like C squad to, you know, it was fun. And it gave me a good base for that and everything. And then for me, I kind of wanted to play football in college. Didn't really have the grades for it and stuff like that. Ended up going to school, ended up joining the rugby team because. Why not? You know? mm-hmm. Another beautiful version of violence. Exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm in. I'm a team sports guy, sort of. But yeah. you know? used to be, anyhow. Right. Used to be, at least. Yeah. And so you know, and then kind of took a couple years where I wasn't really sure what I was doing. Like a lot of people, I was trying to go to school, figure out. You know, this is this is a good major. That's a good major. Uh, well, let's take a break again. You know, and eventually, what happened is I ended up in Brainerd. I was working at a resort up there. 
and realized how much I had missed doing martial arts. And so I had kind of looked in, I think it was still, you could look in the paper back then, but also you could look online. <laughs> yeah. Like there was both options at <laughs> <Right>. that point. <laughs> this is around like early 2007 ish. So, um, found us Taekwondo school, went out there, did a class and the guy instantly was like, Oh, cool, man. You're definitely good enough to go with our black belts. You just got to learn all our forms and stuff. But here, I'm going to start you at like red belt. It's like the run right below a black and stuff. And then, all right, cool. Let's sign you up. Let's get this big, long, you're going to be here for a year. No. Okay. Well, whatever. Let's get you in, sign up for like six months stuff, you know? And mm -hmm. on my way home, I take a wrong turn and I'm going downtown in Brainerd at the time. And I see this sign for the Kume Dojo and it was at the time it was Jared's and Brock's gym up, up there. And so Jared was a brown or was a black belt at the time. And Brock was a brown belt at the time, Brock Larson. Mm -hmm. And I walk in, you know, immediately like talk to them for a little boy, a little while and stuff. And they're like, well, we're just about to get a class started. You want to try it? I was like, fuck yeah, let's you know hop in there. And I remember my first class, I got partnered up with some purple belt, and we were doing like, I think it was like a Sotogari or something and then neon belly and then a f like spinning arm bar, you know, far side arm bar attempt. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is wild. And you know, then that, the that's time, first exposure to jujitsu. First exposure yeah. ever to jujitsu. Sure. Yeah. So this is probably like, I'd say like March, 2007 ish. Right. So pre iPhone. Yes, I, I think very, I think so. <laughs> that's yeah. our definition of way back at this point. Yeah, exactly. And so it was cool. And then like, you know, Jared had said, you know, they had this little trial, you could do it for like a month or something like that. So I was like, well, I just did this, but fuck it. I can make this work. We'll figure it out. I'll mm -hmm. try this instead. And so I went there, you know, I was only, no, I was working like full time at this job. So like, mm -hmm. and I worked, I lived like 20 miles away from the gym and stuff. So like, I can only get in like once, maybe twice a week if I'm lucky. So I, I try to go into a couple classes and stuff and Eventually, they're like, well, Brock's got this fight coming up, man. Do you want to go spar with them and shit? And I was like, sure, you know, because I did Taekwondo. I wrestled. You know, all I need is a submission game now, and I'll be a fighter. <laughs> I, like that you, I like that you're giggling as you say oh, that. Oh, dude, <laughs> it, was, it was the biggest slice of humble pie I ever got. I, bet, like, yeah. I remember trying to, like, throw in, like, a spin back kick, and he just stepped in, grabbed me by the back, and, like, picked me up, brought me down, choked me out right away. And then next thing I know, I'm like, okay, well, I'll wrestle, I'll shoot in. And then like, I shoot in on a shitty ass double, and he just <laughs> grabs my arm for a Kimura trap, rolls me over, and I'm just like, what the hell just happened? And they're me like, okay, maybe you're not ready to go with Brock. I'm like, yeah, you think, <laughs> you know? So, but because uh, on paper, you know, Taekwondo black belt wrestling experience, it it looks pretty good, and, you know. And this is you know some Minnesota kid who thinks he's like, oh, I, there's guys from Minnesota doing this UFC thing, you know, mm -hmm. and. You know, I grew up being like a big time pro wrestling fan, like everybody, you know, WWF. And when I heard about like, you know, I was obsessed with like Kurt Angle, you know, coming over from wrestling and stuff. And then when I heard about this guy, Ken Shamrock, and I'm like, what? Who's this guy? And they're like, oh, he does this for real. Like, what? Like, they get, like, they really fight? Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, and then we'd always be walking by in Blockbuster and you know, see the, see little VHS tapes and shit or the DVDs back then. Yeah. And, I had a couple, like, I never got around to, like, watching it, but I had people talking about it back then, and and then what's wild enough, I I did hear about MMA a little more. Like, when I was a freshman out at South Dakota State, I had a buddy on my rugby team that that fought, 
And he was fighting like underground fights, like because they were. When I say underground, I mean there was no sanctioning body yeah, in South Dakota yeah, at the time. Yeah. So, so there was like it was probably Monty Cox putting on fights back then, who's like a well-known, you know, old-time promoter and shit. He was just, you know, whoever it was. And this guy, they're like, he was like a hundred and twenty-five, hundred thirty-five pounder, and we would always be out partying after the games and the tournaments and shit. And they're like, dude, you probably like who could fuck up who on the whole team? We're like, dude. Tony could wreck everybody in this whole fucking team. And I was like, what? He's so small. And they're like, trust me. <laughs> and he was just this little wild, crazy, like kind of had this California surfer mentality, mm-hmm. kind of like a stoner, like, let's fucking go, man. Yeah. Let's do it. Sounds like a jujitsu guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so then, yeah, then I was doing that for a little bit. My job got crazy at the resort because I was like a manager at the time at this place, Madden's on Gull Lake. So it was a fun time and it was feeling like a big boy job. Like I might go into like the hospitality industry and, Mm -hmm. you know, and then do that. And then by the end of the season, I got really burnt out. And my manager at the time was like, well, you know, you're going back to school, back to Mankato. Because I realized I wanted to like do something else because I had at that time kind of like I took a break from school, meaning I like. I fucked off and just didn't get my, yeah. I didn't do it well. So I can give everybody out. listening is like, yeah, Oh yeah. Break. I took, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, then I moved back to Mankato and started going to school for like business management at like little tech college down there or whatever South central college it was in Mankato. And you know, it was fun cause I was able to like go to school part time. And then at that same time I found out this Mankato MMA gym in Mankato. And that's where like, you know, I found out there was like two blocks away from the place I was living at right when I moved back to Mankato. And so I like walked over, went into this little gym and we kind of talked about it when we were on the, talking with you with like Hitman when he was Mm -hmm. on and, you Mm -hmm. know, saying this little room with this guy, Bill Hoff at Mankato Martial Arts. Mm -hmm. And it literally was a space the size of this room. It was like a 12 by 12 or like 15 by 15 foot space. Like it was not big and there was little crappy puzzle mats and we met like this guy, Dave Costas, who he initially had had like, when we met him, he'd already had like 20, 30 fights. And he like wrestled in college, played football in college, black belt in Taekwondo, boxed, did all this stuff. He had came up here and been training at the academy for a while too and stuff under Greg and all that. And so he was showing us some stuff. And then like a couple months after, probably like, probably like six months or three, I don't even know how long it was, but it was a few months later, Dan came into the picture, but it was like me, my good buddy, like Justin Ream, who was fighting out there at the time. We had this guy, Adam Michael, Dan talked about him, who was like the guy that was on the JV team under Dan and the wrestling team and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. and then like there was, you know, then we had, you know, once David was friends with this guy, JJ, Josh Janoshek, who pretty sure he's, still doing something i think he's like a black belt out of alliance now but he was a d2 all-american wrestler for mankato and looked like a slightly smaller version of brock lesnar basically (laughs) like you know brock if he was under six foot you know but uh so he was training with us and shit and then like we had you know then dan came into the picture and then like castaneda came into the picture a little bit later and like all these guys and we were just we had met this other guy ray white who was our first Muay Thai coach, my first Muay Thai instructor. And he, you know, just got to like, he was his kickboxing coach and all of us guys were like wanting to fight. And so we were just learning from David. And then I was doing all, we also had a black belt uh, judo instructor in Mankato at the time, Gary Rudnick. So I was learning judo, Muay Thai, 
I was attempting to learn jujitsu for MMA, but didn't have anybody in town to teach me except for this like blue belt, you know, coach of mine who'd fought. And then that was it. And about a year or two of doing that. And then I eventually, you know, met up with some people. I had had some fights, had some success and stuff and everything. And then I met Ben Fearson, who at the time was running a website in Minnesota called minnesotammanews.com. And he was based out of Rochester where Mario was at. And I was like working at this hotel in Mankato and was working with his sister-in-law, ironically. And he had came and interviewed me for some fights and stuff like that. And, you know, I realized that I knew I wanted to like go pro and wanted to pursue MMA full time and everything like that. And that's when he then, this was summer of 2010. And I had already had about like, I think like seven fights at this point. I was like, whoa. Yeah. It was quite a few. Yeah. So I guess I kind of skipped over a little bit there. No, that. no, not at all. No, yeah. I was actually going to back us up and ask, okay, so where are we at in terms of progression? But that's, that's pretty, pretty quick jump in first yeah. couple of years. So, okay. I guess if I do back it up, I had my sure. first class was 2007. And then I started training consistently with all these guys in Mankato in March of 2008. That's when I was in at Mankato Martial Arts. And at this time, I had just gotten done working at that resort. So I was living on property and was had a management role and like didn't have any bills back then, like except for like a phone, which was super cheap back then. Yeah. So I was able to save a lot of money and was had like student loans. So I had really didn't have a job and I was just going to school part time and I li and I lived within walking distance of the gym. So I was able to kind of make, you know, pretty quickly with like make good with all these guys and they're mm -hmm. like, okay. So I was like going, you know, starting in like summer of 08, I would go do like early conditioning at like 6 a.m. with Bill and he was just doing these like little like setting up little cards on the table. He's like, all right, we're going to do burpees right here. And then we're going to do Hindu push-ups, And then we're going to do mountain climbers. And then we're going to like sidestep over the bag. Like just, you know, whatever, just getting us moving and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And then I would go and I was a volunteer coach at my old high school for wrestling. So I'd go work at Mankato West high school, working with these guys that were wrestling, just focusing on that. And then after that, I would go and either do like MMA and then Muay Thai, or I'd, I'd go train Muay Thai with Ray two nights a week, or that'd go to judo two nights a week with Gary Rudnick. So I was getting like two a days, three a days. And I was, <laughs> you know, I was just going to school part time. Most of my stuff was kind of online a little bit too. So I could like kind of get away with some of that shit. And, mm -hmm. and then, um, I had my first smoker fight in July of 2008. I was at, uh, brunette's boxing gym i think was where it was at in saint paul and it was in a basement it was so cool we walked down these stairs and you walked in it's like you felt like we were in uh the first opening scene out of rocky yeah because like i it was david was in my corner and it was me and justin ream were fighting that night and i remember because like i was getting all warmed up and everything i'm ready and they're literally calling my name and i'm hopping back and forth and all of a sudden i hear pop this big pop in my knee and I had been dealing with a little bit of like knee issues you know in training and stuff but like wasn't sure what it was and I my knee just instantly stiffens up right away and I'm like David I think I popped my knee he's like what do you mean you pop your knee I'm like I just powered up giant and I can't move it and he's like they're literally calling your name what are you gonna do I'm like what should I use this fucking let's go man I was like all right 
let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Go out there and what's worse, stepping out of it or you know, forfeiting or losing. I mean, I had so much so, adrenaline going through yeah. me at that exact moment right. that it was just like, whatever, I can get through this. Right. And it turns out what I did is I tore my I like popped my meniscus. Mm-hmm. And I had a I've been I had already had something that was aggravated and it just doing that just you know, was the yeah. straw that broke the camel's back. Right. So go out there, still fight this guy, end up getting on top of the mount. I'm like punching him. He reaches up and grabs me. It's so funny. He just grabs me by the back of the head and just pulls me down, like by the back of the head. And I like come down and like my hands, like I can't post. So I like hit with my forearms down and I, we like bonk heads right there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he headbutted him. He headbutted him. I was like, the, what are you talking about, man? I like, he pulled me literally into yeah. his face. And then they just called it a no contest. And I was like, well, whatever. But that's the, I know <laughs> it, it was, it was one of those things like, okay. But later that night, you know, go back and end up going to the doctor a couple weeks later. And they're like, oh yeah, you're, we're going to have to have surgery and stuff. So, so I like had surgery, I think, I don't know, a couple months later in like September or something like that. And then just got back right to training again. And at this point now, we had had this new guy move to Mankato, Sean Curran. Um, I think he still is around. I think he trains over at Akagi now, if I'm not mistaken. But um, he was a blue belt at the time. Smaller guy, a little bit, about 150 pounds maybe. And But Sean was a lifelong wrestler and was a like former D2 wrestler from Mankato. He wrestled at Iowa Central, ironically, and was actually John Jones' roommate in college. Huh. And so... <laughs> We got, to, we found out about that. It was funny. We were watching some fights one night when John was like on his come up before he mm-hmm. got his title. And all of a sudden Sean, was like, I just can't take this anymore. And we're like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, that guy's a prick. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he's like, no, no. He's just like, I couldn't believe it. But it was just so funny. I great guy. Sean was, Sean to me was one of the guys that taught a lot, taught me a lot about what drive and hard work is all about. Cause this guy was like, uh, his dad was like a colonel in the military and uh-huh. he had older brothers and that he, was, he started wrestling at six years old or whatever. He too. started wrestling at six months old from yeah, what yeah. I heard, you know, based on what his brothers were doing to him. So, right, right. you know, so he, he ended up becoming my roommate actually. And, you know, so that was right around the time that I, when I was, had my first fight was over in uh, Wisconsin in April of 2000 eight yeah april of 2008 so i basically came back from that injury and stuff and was like basically started a camp in like january 1st of 2008 and just did for like four months and ended up fighting for the promotion that we had at the time which was brutal genesis um that was put on by nick gamps um may he rest in peace he is now no longer with us i believe so um but he he gave us a lot of opportunities especially all of us in mankato like me dan justin Adam, you know, all the guys that were with us at the time. And so I like reached out to him and I got a fight and it was cool. We did this at a, there's a place called Ready Randy's in New Richland or New Richmond, Wisconsin. Yeah. And Ready Randy's. Ready Randy's bar and, you know, and tavern. And so (laughs) I'm like, all right, this will be interesting. And I remember that, that fight, I didn't even weigh in. I just said, I'm like, I'll fight around 180. I'm like, I'm a middleweight. I'll be fighting at welterweight eventually, but I'm like walking around about 184, 185. So, you know, and I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right. He's like, I got you a guy. And we go and we do the, we do the, um, rules meeting and stuff. And I'm like, all right, man, who's, where's my opponent? 
And after the meeting, he's like, oh, you're fighting Tom Greylock. He's that guy right over there. And I look around, I'm like, this is the only dude with muscles in the whole room who's either <laughs> not a beluga or just a like looks like a tweaker. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the only athlete. Man. The only athlete in the room. Turns out we're the co-main event. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right. Oh, good. Ends up going great. Um, ended up getting the win uh, with a triangle choke, and which is cool because I had learned that from my judo sensei, actually, Gary Rudnick. He's like, you've got really long legs, and you your wrestling's good, but it's not great. So if you get taken down, you should use your long legs. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good point. That's good advice. <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, so I won that one, and then uh, then just kind of started rattling off doing a fight every month or two. I had my next one in June. Fought a great guy, Derek Varon, um, who's still kind of. I think he's retired from fighting now, but he was still fighting like Muay Thai up until like a year ago, I think. So awesome, awesome dude. He was training out of the cellar for a long time. And and we had a fight at like the Myth and then fought in like Albert Lee. And so this was cool because at the time it was just like brutal. It was just like, oh, I got this whole crew of these guys from Mankato. And we had that one night in Albert Lee that that was the night Dan was talking about where he had a guy where he almost killed a guy in that fight. Yeah. And uh <laughs> Yeah, that was a damper on the night to say the least. Correct, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it's like we were doing all these and it was great. And then we had opportunities to like, they, then after a couple of these, the promoter's like, well, I'm going to host one in Mankato. I want you to be the main event. He's like, I'm going to have you and Brian are going to be each fighting for titles. You're going to fight for the welterweight belt and Brian's going to fight for the lightweight belt. And I was like, cool, you know that sounds awesome. You know, what does that mean? What does that entail? Right, and, yeah. No idea, but you're yeah. not going to say no. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? Walter I'm like, all my fights have been at 185. And he's like, well, that's because we do same day weigh-ins. But if you were weighing in the day before, you would be weighing in at 170. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, 170 from 185. Okay. Which I mean, to be fair, like yeah. nowadays, that's, yeah, like, yeah. that's considered like a lightweight cut for most pros mm -hmm. nowadays in that mm -hmm. sense. But, um, well, I'm just thinking you're a year and a half, two years into training for this at all, and this guy's talking about a 15-pound weight cut. Oh, well, I will put it this way. Before my first fight, when I was, like, coming off the surgery, David, one night we were out um, just having just having some drinks one night after practice and stuff, and I was injured, so I was just hanging out and stuff and everything, and he was he pulled me aside and told me, he goes, you know, if you, if you ever want to do it for real, if you cut to 155, you can make it to the UFC. And I look at him like, bro, I'm 190 pounds right now, and I'm 6'2". Six, 6'2", two. Six two, yeah. I'm like, right, what do you mean, 155? He's like, I'm telling you, if you do that, you'll make it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'm you know, thinking in my head, like, how about I go back to just lifting a lot of weights again and you know, be a good welterweight? Like, that sounds a lot more fun, you know? And but Be allowed to eat food. Yeah, ish, you know, sort of. <laughs> it's like only protein. But right, right. But, uh, well, luckily though, that was the cool thing is after, you know, a couple of those fights, then we realized that like, you know, cause when I wrestled in high school, I had one time when I was a freshman, I think it was like a month in, I tried cutting weight, you know, quote unquote, meaning I, I dropped about three pounds of water weight in an afternoon one time, which, you know, it's something, but mm -hmm. I fasted and that was to make the JV squad for a home meet that night. I walked out there and I got thrown with a lateral drop in about 30 seconds and pinned in less than that, you know, and even mm -hmm. faster. And mm -hmm. 
I realized right then and there that my skills were dog shit. And if I wanted to actually like get good at wrestling, cutting weight for weight classes and worrying about my weight was not going to cut it for me. So, so I just got used to always being slightly smaller than most of the guys I was going with. I would be wrestling with the 215 pounder, the heavyweight, because I was at 189, so you know it was just kind of the way it went. You're fighting at your walking around weight, but mm-hmm. that's what they're cutting. To yeah, you. exactly. So, and that's what my first five fights were. They were all at like 185, and then after that, once we, once I kind of signed on with, so once I had that, we had that title win that night in Mankato, and that that was September of shit, 2009, I think. No, 2008. Yeah. We had that. It was cool. It went great that night. I think like the whole team won. Everybody won it, and like myself too. And both Brian and I won. You know, belts that night. So we were all pumped up and everything. And then like we had another one in Mankato, and that was the night I had a nice little reality check. Because at this point, this is November of '09. I had, I had become undefeated. I was four and zero at that point, and finished every opponent in like the first round, or except for the first one against Tom was in like the second round. So I hadn't gone the distance with anybody, and mm-hmm. I was just, you know, mm-hmm. doing, I was killing it. Is it objectively a good thing? But there's also a thing, this but lingering, also, like lingering. Yeah. I'm like, I was dating someone at the time who was like, you know, you don't spend enough time with me. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to be a fighter. Well, Tuesday night I want to be date night. I was like, what are you talking about? Tuesday nights a night with Ray, and I do four. I do four hours of training on Tuesday nights, like. Tuesday night's judo night. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like Tuesday nights, you know, I go to that and I go here and she's like, well, no, it's going to be date night now. And I was like, okay, well, and at the time I was, you know, living with this girl. I was also living with my jujitsu coach, Sean Curran at the time too. And he's like, dude, you're, you're screwing up, man. You're making a mistake here. And it turns out that fight, I went out there and within the first round it ended and I walked out of there with a broken nose, fractured orbital, and I had five stitches that night after after spending about five hours at the ER afterwards because, you know, I was nervous. I had realized I wasn't preparing properly, and that was the biggest slice of, like, reality that I had gotten in a long time. You found out real quick. I'm like, I am not anything hot here. I'm like 4-0 and as an amateur and as a regional dudes in, in Minnesota is mm-hmm. not saying anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a couple tough guys in there, but like one of those wins was against a guy who like literally quit 30 seconds in and there's just like, no, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And like, I don't think he ever <laughs> fought again after that or, but yeah. Um, anyways, so, so that was a really big, you know, kind of moment to come back from. And then so that time from November until about March of the next year, I think that was March of 2010. Okay, no, I take that back. This was, oh, I can't remember. It's sometime around there. Oh, eight, oh, nine into Somewhere 10, there, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometime in there. And um, had a comeback fight, won that one, felt good, and was really, you know, got dialed in ended that relationship, you know, as well, kind of realized that I was like, going to ask. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it was, that was a tough one. Cause it was just like one of these things where you just realize like, Hey, this is a life I want to live. And if I want to be, a, and I'm going to be the first one to say it, if you want to be a competitor in combat sports and particularly MMA, you have to understand that's a lonely, lonely road you're going to be going on. Cause there's a lot of nights where you got to be putting in the work or doing something that does not include going out, does not include spending time here, does not include, you know, it can, 
It absolutely can if you have the right person, but there are not that many people out there that understand what that takes to be that supportive of somebody when it feels like you're kind of getting shorted on attention a lot, especially as they get closer to competitions. Yeah. It's also not fair necessarily to them. Exactly. Like it yeah. goes it's, both ways, truthfully. Touche. Yeah, touche. So, so anyways, this was about, I think it was March of, I'd say 2010 at this point now, because, um, okay, yeah, I, I was mistaken. My first fight was April of 09, not April of 08. So I think it was like April and then June, July, September, November, yeah, and then March. Yep, so, because then, um, yeah, because then in the spring of 2010, that's around the time I met this guy, Ben Fearson, and he was the one that was like, all right, we're going to get you to Rochester. You're going to move in with me. You get to live rent-free. You get to train rent-free or train for free at Mario's. You're going to have to get some kind of part-time job a little bit so you can just pay for your food and stuff, but... I'm going to help you try to make this happen, you know, and he would, he would became my manager and was finding me fights and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Cause then it's like, I got to fight for King of the cage after that. And then did like, you know, had a big one at the target center. That was shit. That was 13 years ago. It was 2010 December, but it was, I moved in August of 2010 and that's when I started under Mario Roberto. So to kind of bring it back to jujitsu again, as I've been kind of sure, popping no, all over the good. place. But. And, we, and we've already got a bunch of stops, like you were saying, sort of a non-traditional approach. I mean, yeah. Jared and Brock together, but nonetheless, yeah. Yeah. and then Mankato and that, and that all smoldering group yeah. of people. And now we're at Rochester with yeah. Mario. And so at that point, that was pretty sweet because now I'm living in a place where I can actually train. I'm training under a guy who is phenomenal because obviously you've met Mario. You see mm -hmm. what he's all about and everything. Mm -hmm. And and I'm loving it because I'm training full time twice a day. I get, you know, I meet Chris Claviter, who's still to this day one of my best friends and stuff like that. And Sorry to hear. All these, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> poor me. <laughs> More like poor Chris. Mm -hmm. But um but yeah, and so I'm training, doing all this. I have another fight, goes great. Then I had another one, went well. And at that point, we're looking to have me go pro at this time. And there was a span from December of 2010 until July of 2011 where I was still just training full time. Um, got my blue belt from Mario in June of 2011. And so it's like at that point, I kind of like, well, shit, I've been a white belt for like four years. My white belt that I used at Mario's was actually my judo belt. He had me literally tape on a black bar with black hockey tape so that he could put white stripes on it. <laughs> so I like that. So I got a Mizuno white belt yeah, yeah. <laughs> for nice. my jujitsu white belt. <laughs> but yeah. And Ex then I, explain the distinction of amateur versus pro, like to the noob. Okay. What so, does this mean? So essentially the way I've tried to explain it to people, if you're familiar with baseball and like the baseball system that they have where you have like the majors and you got triple A double a and single a and then like you know college level below that well amateur would be like the college level or even like single a you're not the amateur the, the true definition between amateur and professional mm -hmm. is an amateur does not get paid for to do the sport a professional gets paid to go do it you'll we'll sign a contract and you will get paid at the end of your bout you know that's the difference so but there's different tiers and level of professional you okay. can have these guys that back then and not to be mean, but there were some guys from certain teams at the time that would just take fights, you know, and just to get paychecks and would fight all over the place. So they were pros, 
but you know they're fighting for like 200 and 200 you know to and get gas money in a hotel and a little bit of beer money that night so to them it was a little bit more or less well I'll just go fight this up and comer and if i lose so be it i'm still getting paid a little but sure. you know so and it's like at the amateur level local amateur level that's kind of like single a you got your higher level you know professional like amateur or professional or like beginner level professional maybe some of your regional shows something like ignite you know something like that maybe or not to like you know i'm just saying like it could be them could be anyone up north right. or you know right, any right. brock shows or anything like that and then you have maybe a little more like national regional level maybe like an lfa type feeder program mm-hmm. or type league that would be like the triple a and then you're looking at things like you know the ufc would be like the majors you know the ufc Bellator, Bellator yeah. PFL, I guess you can throw in the mix with that now. Yeah, but, One yeah. FC, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, and so I think that there are these super high level pros and there's guys all over the place too. that are fighting organizations that are on par with some of these high level guys too. It's just, they haven't been discovered yet now. Right. So right. But, like pretty well parallels to the other sports people might be interested in. Like exactly there, there's hidden talent here and there and the sort of regional level competition. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Exactly. So, so anyways, and then, so I got my blue belt from Mario in June of 2011. So that was exciting. So, you know, technically only took me 10 months to get it, but you know, it kind of came in with a little bit of an asterisk because I right. had lots of competition experience yeah. and wrestled and all that too. But, um, and then in July, you know, about a month later, I was getting ready for what was going to be my last amateur fight. We were going to do another one at the Target Center. And I ended up starting having these issues in training where I was noticing a big flash of light in my eyes. And it's kind of like a camera lens, you know, a camera flash basically. But it was like the like a crescent-shaped moon or whatever. Every time I turned to the right, and I was just kind of freaking out a little bit. But I was like, oh, well... I'm cutting weight, you know, I'm getting down to 170. It's something's going on. Who knows? It's I'll be in denial about it. Yeah. And I, you know, expressed it to Mario and he's kind of like, you know, I'm not sure, man. That's, that sounds, you know, just kind of keep me posted. Let me know. And I remember we had done a couple practices where I had taken a couple of shots and sparring and all of a sudden I was noticing a little bit more. One night I go home, shower, I rub my eyes a lot. And all of a sudden, there's this big black blob in my vision that I can't see through, like a giant eye floater that's like a quarter of my vision. The next day, I go to go to training, train, do some do some conditioning on the treadmill or whatever, go to work at the hotel because I at the time I was working at a hotel so like because they were willing to work around my training schedule. So I'd like I'd go train in the morning, go work for like three hours from like two to five, you know, one to four then come back and train in the evenings then i'd go bounce at a bar that night and stuff to make it all work and shit and my boss at the hotel tells me he's like you know i was explaining what's going on and everything with my symptoms he goes i think you have a detached retina i go what is that and what do you how would how would you know that he goes well my wife had one and those are the exact same symptoms why don't you call mayo right now and i do they call me back a half hour later after i explain what's going on they go can you get in here right now I go, what? I go, get in here before five o'clock. And it's like three thirty at the yeah, time. Yeah. And it's funny how urgent that sense of urgency from medical professionals yeah, can, can make things feel. Yeah. And I'm like, can you get here before five? And I'm like, why before five? And they go, Well, if you don't, you're gonna have to go to the ER. It's gonna cost a lot more. I was like, Okay, I'll come in. Come in, hour later, doing tests, they come over and finally tell me, like, Well, 
you have a detached retina. It is almost completely detached and we have to undergo surgery tonight. And you also have a torn retina on your left eye. And you know, it's, so I had a 98% detachment in the right eye Uh. and I had a 40% tear in the left because you know, a year earlier, I decided to stop wearing contacts and spying. <laughs> like, decided to stop. Yeah, because I were every time I would spar with contacts, and I would they would get knocked out because yeah. I'd keep my eyes open when I'd get hit, and eventually I got so sick and tired of it. And so I think my my vision was just like my depth perception was shitty enough that I got popped in the face a lot. Taking more shots. Yeah. Plus, I came from taekwondo and wrestling backgrounds where you're not exactly required to keep your hands up. Right. So you get popped a couple times. Some bad brains, habits and stuff. Yeah. I had real bad habits. My coach has got on me all the time about it. And so, plus, like, you know, we were, I was going with guys who were way better than me. I was training with, like, Tommy Spear and Travis View. I mean, Travis, I think, maybe just retired with over 100 fights on his record. Tommy, you know, fought Rumble Johnson for his first fight in the UFC. Like, <sighs> You know, it's not like these are yeah. small dudes, yeah. but yeah. But anyways, um, so I had that all go down, underwent surgery, had to move back to Mankato because, of course, I also didn't have health insurance at this time right when this happened. So I uh, moved back home and immediately started coaching. I was took, took over at Mankato. I was teaching at Mankato Martial Arts where Bill had a bigger space now. Dan was there. Justin was there. John Castaneda had shown up at this time. We had a bunch of other guys that were competing. I had just got my blue belt. I'm I'm retiring. I'm now coming back. It's like, all right, guys, we got a coach now. You know, Ray's going to keep coaching us Muay Thai. Gus is going to be coaching the jiu-jitsu now and doing this. And, you know, I was like, you know, me and Dan were kind of like the team captains already. Yeah. So it wasn't like that much of a thing. Right. But you know, having Dan be so supportive of that really helped because some of these guys, when I came back, they're like, piss off, man. Why am I going to listen to you? A year ago, we were training partners. Now, all of a sudden, you're better than me. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I am because I was training with a lot better people than you <laughs> right, right. for the last year, and I'm trying to help you. So, you know, it's, it's kind of is what it is, man. So, but, uh, so we did that for a little while, and then... I think that lasted from about summer of 2011, August 2011, until about November 2013, because that's when I had to move. That's when I left Mankato at that point, because I was coaching for about two years there. But my I was living at home with my folks so I could pay off these bills. I got a real job, and then I was just coaching at Mankato in the evenings, you know, for like no money, which is fine because it's still what I wanted to do. I was passionate about it. And I was driving back to Rochester every Friday to take class to take two classes from Mario so I can come back and teach those on like Mondays and Wednesdays. Cause then a couple months like during that time then Ray also left. So in 2012, Dan moved to the Twin Cities and two months later Ray moved back to Michigan. So I'm for about a year now, I'm coaching jujitsu, MMA, and Muay Thai for these guys. So I'm like all right, guys, let's figure this out. And I would go back to Mario's and train with him. And, you know, that lasted until that's when then I moved up to Wadena, Minnesota. Because at this point, I had been wanting to figure out a way to open a gym in Mankato. And, but I had no money. I had no equipment. I was still paying off this debt for my medical bill. 
I had student loans that were starting to come knocking to, you know, and I'm just, you know, trying to ignore all of these bills and, you know, responsibilities and obligations, just like any typical fighter does. I feel that. And I never fought. (laughs) And so, um, we, uh, I was dating a girl at the time and my parents were moving up to Brainerd. My dad was selling his business and was like, I'm moving, like we're selling the house. Are what are you going to do? Are you going to stay here with, you know, my then girlfriend, Angela, who we'd been dating for about a year at the time. We were kind of thinking about, you know, being serious, but then we're like, all right, let's, that would have required moving in. That means like the job I was working as a material handler at a paper supply company that I hated, you know, from 6am to 2.30 every day, you know, that had the just like, it, I hated that job so much. It had benefits, it had everything I needed on paper. Hard to hate it for real. It's hard to hate it for yeah, real, but yeah. at the same time, I'm like, this is stealing my soul mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. knees every day. Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> I'm walking around like eight to 10 miles a day on concrete, hauling pallets man. of paper. <laughs> so, but, uh, fuck a real job. I know, man. If you it's, can do it. I can't say that because I know so many people that it's so important. But well, for me too. But it was, I'm one of yeah, them these I days, know. you know, and it's just like, uh. But I got lucky, that's for sure. But anyways, so at that point, I I also was like, Ben had reached out to me about this guy in Wadena that was like, had a gym up there. And now, mind you, Wadena is a town in the middle of Minnesota that Thank has you. about 4,000 people. It's I was going to say, explain to the world where Medina it's, it's is. It's about an hour and a half or two hours north of St. Cloud. Yeah. And it's like if you were – it's like halfway between Brainerd and Detroit Lakes. So right. it's right. kind of out in this middle. It's like it's not near any of the lakes. So it's pretty <laughs> crappy and bare, yeah. but it's small and – there was a guy, Joe Jasicki, who, you know, he had this gym and he seemed like he was on the verge. He had some other jobs and stuff he did. He was self-employed and he had this gym and he's like, I'm going to be looking to sell this gym. And if anyone wants, you can come in, you can take it over and be the coach for two years. And if you're here for two years and keep it open, then you can take all the $20,000 worth of equipment and do whatever you want and go anywhere you want with it. And I was like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Is this real? Yeah, that's a. It sounds pretty tempting, and my parents are moving like half an hour from you, so, and I'm hating my job right now, <laughs> and I might be able to convince this girl to come with me, because, or if she doesn't, so be it, you know? <laughs> like, right. Well, anyways, she is like, yeah, you know, this is your dream, let's do this, and I move up, and, you know, my parents let, her let me move in with them as they move into this place up on a lake, and enjoy their retirement and we were there for a couple of weeks and then we found a spot in the town and I went up there I met Joe and I met some of the guys and it was cool I, there were some really good guys up there you know we had like Jesse Wanamaker who was an MMA guy and like Fikrit Sarek and uh, oh my god was it um, I can't there's a bunch of people I've been mm-hmm. hitting the head a lot so I forget <laughs> names but it was cool I mean I, there was this nice little gym it was in this little strip town on Main Street you know but it was cool i was like all right well i'm gonna do this and first day i get there he's like here we got a profit it's like 300 dollars this month and it's all yours you can just have it i was like okay well this gym is like i find out within like a month he had this gym as a way to be a liability so he could write off a bunch of money for the gym to keep his tax bracket to keep himself out of a higher tax bracket right right so I'm like, you weasel. You, yeah. And he, luckily I was like, had the will or know how to like 
not sign over the lease. <laughs> For so, sure. So I didn't sign anything. So we just had a verbal contract. But by like month three, I realized how badly this was going. And you I was were like, gambling on some gambling. I was gambling on a gambler who mm-hmm. called my, who literally like got me because he got me to move. And once I was there, I was stuck. I didn't yeah. have any other option really. For sure. Yeah. So. You know, and to take, I shouldn't say it like it's such a negative thing because yeah. I would have never left Mankato had that opportunity not come up. Right. And yeah, then I yeah. never would have got to the Twin Cities. Right. So at least right. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have. But so in hindsight, it all worked out exactly as it should. Yeah. But N- it was nonetheless, weird, it's the thing that got you where you wanted to be. Yeah. It, it was the catapult right. that got me there, but it was a weird way to get around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, so at the time, right as I'm about to leave, I tell Mario, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be moving up north. I'm not going to be able to come train with you anymore. And I'm like, a th- and I'd got my third stripe on my blue belt from him at this point from going back and training, mm-hmm. you know, and teaching and still doing everything for the last year and a half, two years. And he's like, that's cool. And I go, but this guy, Joe, he's under Brock. You know, he's like, I like Brock. Brock's cool. But you have my blessing. Like, go you can be under him and stuff. And that's cool, man. Like we'll always be tight. Like I appreciate you being so forthright with me about all this and everything. So, and I'm really glad I did that because nowadays I got a really cool, you know, connection with Mario and it's Mm -hmm. like something that I'm really fortunate to have, I think, because he's a, he's a pretty cool dude. It's it's always tricky to hear about burned bridges in people's story, even if it wasn't like somebody said, fuck you. Like it wasn't an obvious thing, but it just faded. It's always like too bad because that's the point. Yeah. Right. The people you, you got to know and and appreciate along the way. Well, and I was really lucky too, because I was able to come in and Mario, you know, got to see me at a point in my life where I was young, I was motivated, I was hungry. I had gone through some adversity with the injuries and stuff. I had been surrounded by some people that could show me how to bring out the best in myself. And then I get introduced to Mario, who's like Sean on <laughs> like level 2.0, you know. So I got this other guy who's even more driven and more, you know, now he knows the path and knows the way. And so like, you know, being able to work with him and then having him give me his blessing and be like, yeah, go up north, do your thing. You know, I'm always going to support you and stuff. And then having that turn out the way it did where it's just like, whatever, you know, I then reach out to a few different coaches in the twin cities area, you know, I'm reaching out to like Jeremy Bjornberg to kind of connect me with some people and stuff like that. And talking to like Dan Moret and, you know, a few different people, but like, you know, I reached out to like Ellie over at Midwest center for movement. What came out, met him, got to talk to him. You know, he offered me a position to teach Muay Thai at his gym. Cause at this point I had gotten my instructorship under master chai in muay thai i got that in april of 2012 Mm -hmm. so the following april after my eye injury i was still able to test for my instructorship under him Mm -hmm. which was something i wasn't sure if i was ever going to be able to do which was really cool because that kind of kept me in the muay thai path otherwise i think that probably would have faded for me possibly which is weird to say because of the fact that I couldn't spar anymore oh, yeah, because yeah. of my eyes, right. you know, just be, just not having that ability to do the core part of what it is. But I realized very quickly how much Muay Thai had become a part of me and, you know, what I loved about a mar- being a martial artist. Right. And it was like the striking art of wrestling. You know, it's just like, just go hard, get after it, you yep. know, just get in their face and go and and I love that part about it so much. So I was like, well, I can't walk away from this. I still want to teach. I still, I know I still can provide something for this. So that was really cool because that push from Ray kept me, you know, got me introduced to Master Chai, 
you know, and then that just kind of kept me, you know, a little bit more connected. So it was cool because at this point yet in Muay Thai, I still wasn't yet under Greg, but Greg was on my board of like old people overseeing when I tested for my black, you know, my instructorship. Mm. So that was kind of cool to have that happen at that point, even right. though I wasn't quite there yet. But so anyways, I'm uh, getting these opportunities to possibly go teach Muay Thai. Uh, Ellie had offered me a spot. I think Nate Kleinfeld had reached out to me about teaching at Next Level or yeah, Next Level mm-hmm. Combat mm-hmm. at the time. And then I had talked to the guys at the cellar um, potentially because I had done some work with them like the year before. One of my former students was training with them, Luke Rudberg. And uh, he had asked me to come corner him at the national tournament, you know, along with the rest of the team. So I was kind of like working with him in particular. But since he was at the cellar, I got to like get to meet Chris and all those guys too, and which was really cool. So, but you know, they were they were really respectful and stuff. And I had asked them, and they said, you know, at the time they didn't have any opportunities for coaching and everything. So then Dan reached out and was like talking to Andy and Nat and Greg here and was like, Hey, you know, you guys, cause well, they had, but they had heard my name, but it was through somebody else who they weren't really on good terms with. And, you know, needless to say that they were just like, whatever, we're not going to hire this guy. But then Dan was like, Hey, um, you should hire Gus, you know, bring him in and, you know, he could be working with our fighters. And, you know, I think at the time it was kind of, I don't think Dan will ever admit it, but I think he partially just wanted me to come to hold pads for him, but <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> which I love too. I mean, Dan's yeah. my best friend, him and right. you know, we if, go, if you know, you got a guy that holds the pads the way you like, you want him around. So well, like, and I wanted you know, to be whatever. around Dan too. Cause Dan's always been that guy. That's like almost like a big brother to me. Like sure. he, he and I, you know, feed off each other and work together so well. And it's like, I can't, you know, slack off when I see this guy right next to me who's wanting to be better than me and pushing me to be better. So it's like, you know, it's the whole iron sharpens iron automatic level up when you're exactly. And so I knew in order for me to get to where I needed to be. And also being in Wadena as a blue belt and trying to coach and run stuff, even though it's like, I was a, you know, instructor in Muay Thai and everything, but like I was a blue belt at jujitsu. And like at the time, even then, like, there were more instructors around. You just, you know, maybe not out in the boonies out there, mm-hmm. but like it, you weren't looked at as someone that was like, I should listen to you. You know, right. I also just right. didn't have the skills that needed. I didn't know how to connect with people. I was like trying to be like, trying to tell them like, you need to do it like this. So every time it's like, not be like, Hey, this might work better for you. You know, right. not, it was all shut up and listen to me. And right, right. nobody, it's, it's a malleable that. art. You don't even need that kind of teaching stuff. Yeah. There's, just, there's just so much variety to it. Yeah. So the, your connection to the Academy here came when you were still up in funky, cold Wadena. Yeah. Or, funky, cold Medina or Wadena. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I got, you know, Dan got me in the door here and basically I called, he, he got me a phone interview with Andy and what they basically, they brought me in here to like, I was just doing intro lessons for prospective students and it was a commission only base pay. I only got paid if students signed up. Mm-hmm. So the only reason this even worked was because the year before or like months before I have the year, like months before this, um, uh, one of my grandparents had passed away and I was able to receive a little bit of like a, you know, small inheritance a little bit, which mm-hmm. was like, it wasn't anything. It wasn't even like five figures, but it was mm-hmm. like enough to like sustain me for a few months while I'm trying to get established. And you know, that girl I was dating at the time, she had followed me to Wadena 
we both realized that place sucked and I'm like, we're getting out of here. Let's go to the Twin Cities, you know? And sure. so we moved to the Twin Cities. Luckily enough, I had a cousin who was living in St. Paul who had a house he was trying to sell. And he's like, hey, well, you guys can just live here until for the winter and then we'll try to put it back on the market in the spring or whenever you guys find a new spot. Cool, you know, that worked out. And then I was doing that and I was trying to do the intros here and I was trying to find people to do private lessons with me. I was doing this. Man, I stooped so low trying to get money. I even got into network marketing for a minute. Mm. Like, mm. and if you've, I mean, you've heard of Herbalife, you mm -hmm. know, there was that shit going on here. We had it, I got Hayden into it. And man, we made a, we made a really bad reputation for ourselves for a few mm. months there. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, when you're trying to make it, you know, yeah, that was yeah. one of these things. Like, I moved to the Twin Cities. I had this small bit of money. I had this, I, and I was just like, I'm not going to have a job. I want to make it in martial arts. So from like, shit, 20, even being in Wadena, I was making no money because I was working on the weekends, doing overnight shifts at the, you know, American hotel while I'm losing money at this gym I'm trying to run. Right. So, you know, what people, the part that people don't forget about or don't know about when you're trying to make something like, a, pursue a dream like something like run a gym or become a black belt or do all this stuff it's like they don't see the parts where you're buying the cheapest groceries you can at Aldi while hoping that you can get a check to clear for 20 bucks that day to get some food that night and hope that you're you know the person who you're renting a room from isn't going to get too pissed if you're a week late on your rent because you know you don't get paid until friday for whatever it might be like I lived below the poverty line for years you know and the only reason I was able to do that was because of the fact that like I had a lot of people that were willing to help me along the way you know Dan you know was able to get me into one of like the spare room at one of their places because at the time about I'd say about six months after moving here that girl and I that were together we realized that that wasn't really working so so we split and then I'm bopping around from couch to couch or room to room that has no actual lease, you know, and everything until basically, you know, I met Nikita cause like I was trying everything I could to get a job. I moved into the house with these dudes from the network marketing scheme. Yeah. They call that, it the that's hope when house. You get the hope house, the hope house, that's when you helping get too other deep. people evolve. Oh God. <laughs> You're in a cult. That's a cult. I mean, I know yeah, it's like so that. bad. And well, it's a pyramid scheme. Oh, well, yeah, but it, I mean, <laughs> full graduation to a cult when you've yeah. got a, a name like that. Yeah. So, you know, and it was whatever it, it was a fun <laughs> time, but so, you know, we, it drives the point home that, yeah, there's a lot of dirt under that nice, pretty rug. Yeah. Right? Like there's, a, there's a lot of struggle and a lot of uncertainty as you as exactly. you take the path So to any kind of small business ownership for True. sure, but definitely down the gym route and the coaching route. Yeah. Super volatile. So by this point now, like it was around, it was in spring of 2016 was finally when things started to turn up. And that was when I met Nikita. <laughs> Luckily, you know, I, mm -hmm. her and I met at a master Chai seminar at the Minnesota college group and we had a mutual friend and in Diana Rathborn, who is awesome. She was my, one of the, one of my coaches, coaches, uh, Ray white worked with her for years at the Minnesota college group when he was there. And that was also cool too. My first coach, Ray, he was at the Minnesota college group for 10 years under Rick Fay. 
And that's also where Greg started. Mm-hmm. That's where Nikita started. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have all of that kind of coming back full circle again right. with those guys. Which a lot really of branches cool. that all kind of converge. I know. To it's one like spot. They, they split off and then kind of came back together, yep. which that's is really cool. cool. Um, but, uh, God, where was I? I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Nikita. Yeah. So around this time, I meet Nikita. And at the time that, you know, this is April or kind of April, May, June, kind of those first little spring time there. And I'm like, at the time, Dan had been setting something up. Dan Moret set something up in Mankato. So we were trying to work with some guys kind of getting a gym going down there. Cause you know, we still had a lot of people down there from that we knew like clay was still down there. And a lot of guys that had been training with us for years, were just kind of doing stuff over at the college and everything, but there wasn't really a lot of organization and everything. And so Dan partnered with some guy down there and he's like, well, I'm moving to Arizona to try and, you know, keep going with my fight career. Gus, why don't you come down on the weekends and teach these guys classes? We'll have clay doing some stuff during the week. And so I'm like driving down to Mankato for 40 bucks a lesson for like, you know, 80 bucks a weekend. I'm sleeping at Dan's dad's house, you know, and me and meanwhile then Nikita's like well you know eventually maybe you know you don't have to go to Mankato every weekend and you know and then I realized then too that you know there should be more going on at that point you know at some point and luckily Hayden opened up EP and within a month or so he's like hey you still want to coach Muay Thai and I was like yes I do he goes, great, I got a job for you starting tomorrow night. It's like, <laughs> Which is very Hayden. I know. You, are you free tomorrow? <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny how that came about because Hayden opened up the Academy Eden Prairie at Kurt's gym in, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was like September 2016. Mm-hmm. And he was just doing jujitsu and kids out of there. And that was his initial plan. He wasn't going to do Muay Thai at all. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, one of their students there, Eric Miller, was like, I thought this you guys were a mixed martial arts gym. Don't you have Muay Thai? He goes, of course we do. When, when would you think would be a good time for you? He's like, well, tomorrow, like seven. It's like, you're in luck. That's when we have class. That's when our class is. He calls me that <laughs> night, Monday night at like nine o'clock. He's like, hey, you want to start teaching? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay, you start tomorrow at seven. It's like, great. And so, you know, he brought me on and that was really cool because, you know, he gave me a really good opportunity and Hayden was a new business owner. So he's like trying every idea and he's bouncing them off me. So I'm getting to kind of see how this is working with the growth and everything like that and Mm -hmm. building up kids. And I was teaching Muay Thai and teaching kids over there. And then Nikita was doing the same. And then it was like, all of a sudden now it's like, okay, the path is starting to come together a little bit. And, you know, right away, Nikita and I both knew, like we both wanted to own a gym someday. Like when I first met her though, she was working full time in the music industry. Yeah, I remember as that a from sound when we had John. Yeah, yeah, and so she was working as a. Sound Ironically, engineer. that's the episode I forgot to turn the sound engineer's mic on for the I know. first thirty. <laughs> so that, yeah, I found out she was a sound engineer. I'm like, that's really embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> that's so funny. But uh, so yeah, so like she was doing that, but like we would, you know, we would train together sometimes. And I'm like, God, how cool would this be just to do this? And she's like, this would be awesome. And you know, and then, you know, it just kind of like, we just went about doing our thing for a little while. And, and meanwhile, I'm like loving this. Cause you know, I had gotten to up to purple belt at this point, you know, I was training, I was still competing during those dark times when I was, you know, bopping around couches for about that year and a half, two years, I was training all the time. Like when I say that it's cool because like I was half the time I was living with Dan, we would just get up, go train in the morning, eat lunch, 
go work at zebra mats stuff in heavy bags or whatever random job we right, had going right, on right. and then we'd come back and train in the evenings taking classes and then i'd be pat- holding pads for him to like eight nine o'clock and that's just how we did it for like a year and a half we'd go corner fights like every other weekend for like diva and clarence and all these guys and stuff and like it was awesome i was gaining so much experience and just loving it and going and living the life really you know mm-hmm. The, the, the dark times, but they're also kind of the glory days. Dude, it was yeah. it was wild, man. It was crazy. Like it's kind of one of those things you can only really do is like when you're living like a single life and you know yeah. young and carefree. And <laughs> I mean, technically, I probably should have been doing that shit ten years earlier. For sure, know? for but sure. Yeah. In hindsight, but you know, it was great. And you know, then you know when I met Nikita, you know, we were both doing our thing and it was great. Cause like every night we'd come home and we just debrief about the mm-hmm. night and everything and how it all was awesome and what went wrong or what was cool. And goes to your point earlier about finding the right person. If you're going to live the fighter slash coach slash small gym owner lifestyle. Well, and that's kind of what had happened in the last like couple relationships is like eventually the girls I was dating were like, you know, I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing you talk about martial arts yep. all the time. <laughs> it's like, well, tough shit. It ain't going to change. Like, it's all I got. So I know. I'm like, this is me. This is what I like. Topic. So, um, but yeah, so that was co- so cool. And then, and then when COVID hit, you know, it was like, you know, everyone had their opinion about what was going on, but we all had to shut down. We had to go to zoom classes and luckily Nikita and I were like, well, Hey, we'll, we'll take over kids. And she was teaching kids at the college group. I'm teaching kids at EP. We just started immediately. We're like, okay, let's just combine this. If we're going to be teaching kids on like Tuesday, Thursdays, we'll do the academy classes at four and we'll do the college group classes right away at five. We start collaborating. We're teaching classes, figuring out how to teach on zoom, which is like insane, but you know, and all of a sudden we're like, Hey, this is fun. We actually do like working together. We were, cause both, I'll be perfectly honest. Nikki and I are both kind of nervous a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, we love each other. This is great. But like, can we work together every right. day and like make that be all right. good and everything like It'll that? either be the glue or the complete destruction. I know right? it's kind of one or the other, you know, we were very fortunate that like we, you know, had a lot, we have good communication and we were able to talk to each other and we can tell each other when the other person is like, mostly when I'm not doing what I should be doing, yeah. but it's funny you know, how it works. I know. Right. <laughs> but it's true too, man. Yes. Like I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that when I, you know, if something, if I'm not pulling my weight, you know, I'm not dumb. I know I'm not doing it. You know, it's like <laughs> I might act like I am and I'm like, yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Of course I did it. <laughs> it's like, but, but no, it's, I love it. And I, I'm so lucky. I'm so happy. Cause you know, with her doing it and, and then just being able to be a part of her goals too. Like, you know, being with her, we got the opportunity to like go, you know, check out this thing in Japan at the, for the Minnesota college group, we went out to this instructor conference. So we got to go do this and like, I never would have gotten to be a part of that had I never met Nikita. You know, she was just in so tight and was like, well, let's make this happen. And so we went and we loved it. And it was the trip of a lifetime. And, you know, all these cool opportunities we've had, you know, Master Chai knows us as like the the couple from Minnesota, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's always funny because he's like, actually, man, he's told me he's like, you know, she might be better than you. <laughs> like, oh yeah. He's like, she's a better talker. She's a better teacher. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why so, I keep her around. Exactly, coach. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, no. And then, so when did you open up the first one, the first Burnsville? So we, I was we're post 2020 post. Yeah. So, so COVID happened and then yeah. 2020. So 
I told Hayden in November of 2020 that Nikita and I had decided that we were going to open up and we decided we were going to wait until summer because we wanted to give it some more time for COVID to kind of chill, you know, Mm -hmm. just because it's like, no matter what anyone's opinion is about how it went down at the time, nobody really had much say in what we were doing about or what we could and couldn't do. We wanted to kind of let some of that shit just kind of play out before we decided to jump into the hat of being the small business owners with it. It was a high volatility time. Exactly. You know, so that's why I always say like kudos to anybody that opened up around that time. Like I know like Caitlin, you know, with the striking Institute right. and same like, time making period. that work was like, damn. A friend of mine opened up his CrossFit in that same kind of time period. Really? It's like, okay, yeah, see wow. how this goes. Yeah. So, so we came in at the tail end. So we, we got a spot and we signed our lease in like July or August of 2021. And so we had our first class. I remember it was August 23rd of 2021. And, um, and so at that point, it was kind of nice. So, like in terms of like jujitsu training, journey wise, at this point, I had, I had got my purple belt in December of 2015. So I was a blue belt for four and a half years. So from June 2011, I got promoted to blue. December 2015, got promoted to purple, mm-hmm. and then uh, December of 2019, got promoted to brown. So that was pretty cool. And then just now. You know, two weeks ago, got the old black belt. So, mm-hmm. so that's why it's kind of like when I say it was unorthodox, it was like different because it's like a lot of people tend to move. You know, once you kind of get like purple, most people it doesn't take that long. And I'm like, damn, four <laughs> years at every belt, it's right? Like, right, it's something. But well, and arguably, your brown belt was your shortest in terms of training time because we kind of shut down for a good good chunk of the early years. True. Well, yeah. that beginning that beginning part, yeah, that was yeah. hard. I mean, we still had a little bit of like the speakeasy training going yep. on and yep. stuff like that, but you know, yeah. there's only so much of that you can really improve on when you're not getting full-time stuff going, right. but Yeah, you don't have 9 rounds ahead of you with a bunch of different bodies yeah, several times exactly. a week. It's different. Exactly. So, but you know, it was so cool though because I I think for me when I, the idea of getting to black belt was such a value that I had put in my own head that it was something that like, I was just like, it's the end all be all. When that happens, it'll be like, I reached the summit. I reached the peak. Like I, I know exactly whatever, I know all the answers now. And Mm -hmm. it's just over these last couple of years of like being at Brown and stuff, it's kind of like, huh? It's really a matter of it doesn't it doesn't change. If anything, now that I'm back at it, I'm like I feel like a white belt again. I'm a black belt, but there's techniques that I feel like such a white belt at that it's like I feel like I got to start all over and go back and do it again and like try to get better at all the stuff that I never got good at, or try to like embrace the stuff that I thought was you know BS, you know, or not not BS, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. stuff that I thought wouldn't be a part of my game. Yeah, undervalued. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's a common a common piece of this conversation. Like the getting the black belt almost forces you to open your eyes to some blind spots and yeah. some weaknesses. It, it does. I mean, well, plus too, it's like I feel very fortunate that it wasn't one of these things that was just like I got it because I wanted it. Like I, if there's anything I can relate with a lot of people about, it's that feeling of like comparing yourself to your peers when you know you're better when you know you shouldn't. 
Like, yeah. it's not that I'm not better than them. It's like, I'm better than acting like I'm better than that, sure. you know, or whatever. It's yeah, like, yeah. I am a person. Know that I am. I shouldn't be thinking this way. Right. But in my mind, I was like, what the hell? So-and-so is getting this. Yeah. How is, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Hayden, I even joke about it sometimes. He's like, man, I remember that day when, cause there was a time when I was like, I thought I was getting passed up at my Brown test. And I was like, how the hell is so-and-so going mm -hmm. for it? And I'm mm -hmm. not. Yeah. And I like told Hayden, he's like, dude, maybe you should talk to Greg. <laughs> and right. I'm like, right. uh, yeah. he didn't say it like that, but yeah. he was just trying to be subtle, you know, but yeah. like, so I, like, I get it. And that's, what's cool is like, you know, for me too, is I, the black belt for me meant to, was a, was kind of like the, the coming to fruition of two goals that I had set for myself. The first one was when my first jujitsu class, you know, when I met, you know, Jared and Brock and then back in the day and decided them like, I want to get a black belt someday. Like, like this seems like it'd be really cool to be able to have this. Cause I, the moment I watched Jared move, I was like, how is this even possible? And the moment I had tried grappling with him, and this is Jared, like, when Jared was young, like, 2000, this is 16 years ago, Jared, when he was already a black belt and had just come back from California being with Dave. And I was like, Brock's got his forearms like this. He looks the part. Jared, I was just like, how is this possible? And then I rolled with someone like Mario. I'm like, how is this? This dude's a wizard. I've got him in a full-on rear naked choke. And all of a sudden, all the guys on the side are laughing. And I'm like, what are you guys laughing at? And he goes, Mario's laughing. And I'm like, this is on. What are you talking about? And he just, next thing you know, he's just out of it. And I'm like, what? You know, so like, I was so excited about the idea of getting to that someday. Because that, you know, it's just understanding what that journey meant. Because at the time, I had no clue what the journey meant no idea can and, you know can, no. can you know at that point? no it's not even possible yeah. i don't think you're setting a goal for something but you just have no idea what the goal actually even means yeah it's kind of the whole like you can't have a perfect plan and expect it to be ready and then be a, have a plan be ready and perfect and when you start it it's just you have to start and just figure it out because it's probably you're gonna be spinning your head in circles a little bit before you finally figure out which direction you got to go but that's fine if you have to find the direction first, you're never going to find it until you start moving. Embrace the chaos. A exactly. Bit. And so, um, shit, what was I just talking about? <laughs> Jiu-jitsu and stuff. It's all yeah. Good. <laughs> I know. I, I had a point. I, I lose my points train of thought a lot. This is what so, happens when you get hit in the head Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely, brother. Uh, <laughs> when, did you, when did you move to the second location for Burnsville okay. Academy? So, so we opened up in August of 21, and, you know, we... The second one. The the first one. First one's first, August first 21. One. Okay. And I actually got to rewind a little bit. I do got to kind of tell a little bit of a quick story here with this one. Sure. So we almost for. didn't even open the school. Oh, really? Yeah. We had an opportunity came up a little bit where we were almost going to go work at the Collie Group and have me go work there as like a, like a front desk person and then just going to try to move into like a management role and stuff like that because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it would have allowed us to be working together. It's like six blocks from our house. You know, we could simplicity of not being in charge and liable for yeah, the whole thing exactly. right off the bat. And then, yeah. you know, possibly do something like have their, you know, program because at the time they didn't really have like an affiliate, you know, who they were under at the time because Evan was coming over, but they were still kind of under McCune. And the idea is turn him into a Pedro Sauer school, do that and everything. But like, 
after talking with them and stuff for a while, I eventually like had a dream one night, which is ironic to say, like I had a night where I was like, I woke up, I don't even really remember what the dream was about, but I just remember the next morning, the feeling I woke up and I was just like, if I don't take this shot on myself, I'm going to look back in 20 years and it's going to feel the exact same way that if I felt when I was, when I decided to go into fighting, when I almost didn't go into fighting or after that fight, when I got, when I lost my belt and I got my face broke that there were two days there where I was literally considering just quitting the sport and all together. I was like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this, you know? And luckily I'm too stubborn to do that. So I, uh, yeah, I just, kept working through it and kept going so um this is another one of those moments kind of lost train of thought no it was beautifully so, stated beautifully stated yeah. we're talking about actually jumping toward opening the okay. gym yeah so the college <laughs> group so so anyways yeah this is what i mean you know you get you get tired of yeah. jiu-jitsu too but um so i had that i woke up that morning i just told nikita i was like i can't we got to do it i don't care if we fail and you know go bankrupt so be it at least we did it i have to like i have to know and so we did. She quit her job that day, and I stayed on for one more month at the academy uh, so that, you know, we wouldn't completely lose our pay. And then she started getting all the stuff going with setting up the school and getting that and finding the realtor and finding the space and everything. And then we found that spot and got made it work. Luckily, you know, we got Zebra Mats was still right here in town. I'm connected with Dan. He's connected with them. He did me a solid, came up, built the gym for me, basically, mm-hmm. you know, as a, just a, as a brother, you know. So mm-hmm. thanks again, Dano. Can't help you. Can't thank you enough for that. Right. Again, um, the importance of the connections along the way and not, you know, having burned bridges behind you. Well, that's one thing I, I got going for me from my old man and my mom. I think every job I ever had, literally every single job I ever had, I got through knowing somebody. Right like having somebody that worked for the company that I had was connected to someone somehow. Yeah. So, which is just lucky, you know, that's just being, getting to know the right people. Well, lucky, but also it's telling of the people involved. Like there's yeah. a reason, you know, and have established rapport with those people. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So, so we got the gym open, you know, and luckily enough it was pretty cool because, you know, I had some students that came with me from EP, you know, followed over a lot of Muay Thai folks and stuff. And, uh, Nikita had a couple that came over from the college group too. And then, so we were able to kind of start off right away with like, we might be losing a little bit of money, but we're not losing a lot of money right away. And, you know, we were able to get a loan and got that. So we got all the gym, got all the equipment, got up and up, up and running with what we could. And we just took off running, you know, and I was basing off, you know, this is where it's hindsight, <laughs> the network marketing shit that I did for that year. <laughs> came in pretty handy when you learned how to make cold calls on mm-hmm. prospects, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, basically being able to work here at the Academy, working with the fight team, doing all the intros I did for years. This was my education. This was my internship. This was my residency, if you will, working for Hayden for five years, running a program, running two programs. And then, you know, being able to let, you know, kind of have a little bit more kind of say going on. Cause at the time, like Hayden was, you know, doing his thing and was still training a lot and still competing a lot and traveling a lot. So, you know, he was able to do that because he was like, Hey, can I, can you, you know, watch, watch the gym this weekend, you know, take care of this. I'm like, of course, yeah, you got it. And so it was like, gave me that opportunity to get that trial run out of the way. All the experiences you have to have, like, 
how to tell a student they're sparring too hard, how to tell a guy that you got to learn to not use your weight when you're going with small people or telling the guy who is like, Hey man, um, I think you need to retire that rash guard. This is a, you know, this ain't working anymore. Here's a new one for you. Right. You know, or whatever it might be. So your billing issues or we're going to change the schedule or now I need a different instructor. All that. All the BS. Exactly. All this, all the fun stuff that comes with it. And you, you, you you got a chance to let your mistakes in doing that be Hayden's problem rather than your problem. So that's good. Exactly. Let and I remember somebody else's done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude, I made so many mistakes at your gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm. But uh, so then <laughs> we were, you know, we were growing. Um, during that time, too, I will say one thing that actually was horrible that happened. I had this terrible toe injury where my toe got caught in the gi. I was doing a crab ride with my buddy and BJ during an open mountain night, and my toe went. What I, the little for those that are listening, basically what I meant was like my toe went out to the side and twisted about a quarter turn inward, and we uh, we tried going to the doctor that night. We spent about three hours trying to put it back in place, only to be like, you have to have surgery. They have to put pins in there, and like I got stuck in a boot for nine to ten weeks, and had a pin in my toe. Couldn't train, couldn't do anything. So I was like, all right, we're going to harden the paint on phone calls and signups. And so I, you know, when I don't have any time to train, I got time to call. So I just did that. And it was, we had a big push. And ironically, at the same time, we, uh, we had the St. Paul location had a really horrible thing happen to them. They had a flood in their gym. I remember that. And so all of their students were without a place to train for a little while. And, you know, as being part of Team Academy, we said, hey, you guys are welcome to come train at any of the other schools if you want. Well, Mm -hmm. we just happen to be the closest place to them for a lot of those Oh, yeah, I suppose you are, technically. And, yeah, probably a lot of them live down there anyhow, right? So that kind of worked out really well because at a time when I – like we were – Nikita and I are more – I'd say our credentials are more renowned for Muay Thai, like as what we are known for. And Muay Thai is our biggest program at the school. We're both instructors in it, you know, and so it's kind of like, you know, it's a big thing in our gym, obviously. But I, you know, just being my, you know – somewhat insecure self sometimes was like who's gonna want to run a program from a brown belt you know there's so many black belt schools around here <laughs> yeah and that's what i'm as saying. if you're not already a wizard at well, brown belt and that's you know? what's that's what's funny is like those were my thoughts at the time yeah and then it was like so that's kind of why when i got my black belt i was like well it doesn't really make a difference i mean i'm still just as good as i was two weeks ago it doesn't like change that much you know mm-hmm. it's like so i was still able to have a successful program even while not having that black belt. So that's right. why now it's like, it's cool, but it didn't feel the same way as I sure. thought it was going to be. Sure. But, um, you did teach as a blue belt for the exactly. So I mean, I've been teaching little, my whole career, my yeah. whole basically yeah. you know, since the beginning. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, so with that all happening, we had this huge influx in students and we were able to like fill the classes up at a time when normally you're like, well, you don't have as big of a program because you just don't have as many people yeah. in there. And it's hard right. to sign up when you only got four people in a class. Right. So if I come to tour and I see 28 people hitting the bags or whatever, I'm it, like, oh, wow, like, oh, they're, they're like onto something. This. You yeah. got a little bit of social proof here. Yeah. People like you. So, um, so that was cool because then you know we were able to help them. And then once they opened back up, all those guys went back and we had a good rapport with all of them. And now we had enough students to make the class. It was just like, 
it didn't like suddenly like shrink, but it was just like, oh, okay, well, it's about the same now. But it, yeah. it wasn't like this right. three, three, four months ago. Yeah. So helped you bring in the bodies that you kept. Yeah. So then um, we started realizing it uh, in fall of 22 that, so we, it was about a little over a year and three months, I'd say, or a year and two months, I'd say we were about like realizing like, hey, I thought we were going to be you know, here for a while. And it seems like we're moving quite a bit quicker than we anticipated. You know, I chalked that up to having great people around us. You know, Matt Halverson had been making his presence known. He wasn't working for us, but he was around a lot more at that time, helping out a little bit with kids or running open mat, having Nikita be such a pivotal part of the gym, you know, plays such a huge factor. And so that we started growing out of there and I knew if we stayed there, we were at a position where like we could stay here and like probably make some money and you know do fine but we're going to lose out on a lot of people because we're going to be bottlenecked and we're getting too big for this space already or we can triple down and try to find a bigger space and so we reached out to our realtor what said, a beautiful hey. problem to have by the way i know <laughs> Well, it was especially at a year, year and a half. Yeah. And the thing is, is like we we had this great ambition to do this, but it was like, okay, if we're going to do this, though, like we have to go hard in the paint again on signups because like we're going into a space where we went from being at a nice, comfortable little, you know, as far as business owners go, it was a good spot to be in to now it's like we're not sure where the, you know, as business owners, this isn't where you would comfortably want to be right now. So so we had, so it was like, all right, we got this beautiful new space. And then right at the same time, and that was February of last year or yeah, February of 2022. No, February of 23. I'm sorry. Was yeah. that this year still? Yeah, it was this year still. <laughs> so shit, it was this year. I've been there twice to record Yeah, all inside this year. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I know. Wild, huh? Yeah. This, that was last February. So we moved in there like February 1st. We okay. signed the lease with yeah. them and we're able to move in. We got... We got another loan, you know, because we were able to pay that off quickly, which was nice. And then we are able to call up Dan and was like, hey, I'm calling Zebra. We're getting these mats. We're getting more bags. We're getting more rack. We're getting more everything. And let's let's do it. Found a couple of spots. And our thing was we had to be within a mile of where we currently were because we didn't want to, like, right. leave our students in the dust or yeah, anything like that. Yeah. Then we found that spot and was like, let's do this. And... Then same thing, went hard in the paint on students again, and now it's just been rocking and rolling, and we're loving life right now, to say the least. The fundamental improvement is you can have two classes going at once, right? Yeah. You got you technically have two spaces within that space. Mm -hmm. So you, yeah. what, you got like jujitsu in one room and Muay Thai in the other usually, or is it? Yeah, so the, we got the big room, which is nice because that's like the main training room. And then we have the small mat kind of close to the lobby area. And that's probably about one third of the size about that. Maybe 40% maybe. You know. It's close to the size of the first space. Yeah. Probably, it's like, huh? Yeah. I think it's like 3,500 and like 1,500. Sure. Is, is like the square footage so, right. of the two of them. So, but like, yeah, like when we have like kids going on in the main room, we got like all the kids from like seven to 13 up in there. And then we'll have like a fundamentals Thai boxing class. I'll be teaching the other rooms. So then, you know, some nights we'll have Muay Thai going on in the main room and we'll have like 
open role or comp training jujitsu going on in the other room, or we'll have like MMA going in the main room. And then like open mat is also in the main room a little bit for some of the like post Muay Thai guys. And then like Kali will be going on in the other room. So that ability to have two classes going on at once is so key because you could try to add all the class times throughout a schedule if you want. And the fact of the matter is not many people want to come work out at 3 PM mm -hmm. in the afternoon because yeah. most people can't. Yeah. Not many people want to take a class starting at 830. Yep. You know, it's I mean, the same, same problem you run into at CrossFit gyms. I referenced yeah. my buddy's place and it's yeah. like, you got a four 30 and a five 30, anything before and after is too late. So yeah. if you've got a one class space, there's, to use your phrase, you got a bottleneck yeah. on, on your productivity. And there. so, and they got to the, and that's what started happening. It was like, which was so cool. I mean, I'm, it's not a problem, but it yeah. was a little bit like we've had a couple of tie boxing classes in that room at six o'clock time frame because six p.m. Tuesday Thursdays just kind of became like our that was always our striking night. That was our big that's our big one, and we've had some classes with north of seventy people in there. <laughs> so. That's like teaching a seminar. Yeah. A, a decent sized one sometimes right. too. Yeah, yeah. It's bigger than some seminars. Yeah. And so like I we had one one testing night, we had seventy-five people in there. And so we then started this fundamentals class at five, hoping to like mitigate a little bit of that, get some of the newer folks in earlier. Well now now we're getting like twenty people in that five o'clock class. And 15 of them are going over and just doing the six o'clock class after. You're just going to have two 70 people classes sooner or yeah. later, right? Oh, man. So if someone was joking, they're like, you're going to be out of this place in a year. I'm like, not a chance. I, I want to milk this one for as long <laughs> we'll as we We'll figure can. it out for a nah, while. It's yeah. good. And I'm just so happy. We've got, if there's one thing that I'd say I did right is I got surrounded by really good people. And I was very fortunate to like not not get in my own way when it came to that, because there were some times with some of these like like Coach Andy, for example. That man has I have butted heads with him more than anyone I can imagine, honestly, outside from my parents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but he has brought more out of me and made me learn and think about things in a different way that I would have never imagined. And I am like so lucky because of that. Yeah. The fact that I got surrounded and became a student under Greg, you know, what that man has endured in his life and what he has persevered through and worked through and just, I mean, we're sitting in this room that's just got a room, like wall of accomplishments about things he's done. And, you know, and then looking someone like Nat, you know, Nat McIntyre, like he's mm -hmm. so awesome, has done so much and like these guys, to be able to have all of them and then like Hayden and Brandon and all these guys that train with like Nick Thompson and then go back to like Mario and all these guys. Like I've just been really lucky to have found people that I was like, well, first thing it was like they inspired me, but then I realized like there is so much knowledge here and so much that I can learn from. And you know, so I've, I don't know. I've just been lucky in that sense because I I was definitely younger younger me would have been like, what the fuck would I learn Kali for? Why would I do that? There's no reason for it. And now I'm like, let's get a stick. Come on, give me a dagger. <laughs> like I want to go do this. Like this is fun. Like it's just it's so different, but it's so cool. So 
Yeah. Usual last question here yeah. I ask of all the black belts, mm-hmm. and I'm going to frame yours a little bit differently. So it's give me advice mm-hmm. as a jiu-jitsu guy to another jiu-jitsu guy for white belts, mm-hmm. blue belts, etc., etc., okay. and do the same thing for Muay Thai, actually. Okay. Frame the levels however you would do it. Yeah. So I would say, you know, white belt, both Muay Thai and, well, let's start with jiu-jitsu. It's... It's kind of the, t- I mean, this is going to be pretty typical of what most people say. Mm-hmm. It's learn to survive. You know, that's your job as a white belt. You got to, you got to familiarize yourself with situations, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and just learn to swim when you don't know how is essentially it. You got to learn to tread water while swimming around with sharks sometimes. And it's not that serious, but it feels like it. So just embrace that. And in the words of Sean Curran, learn to embrace the suck sometimes because you're just going to have to go through that. And if you don't, if you think that that's not going to happen, well, you're delusional. <laughs> so, so embrace that and, and just know that it, it may not come right away, but things are going to start turning and it's going to be like, actually, I take that back at white belt. You start learning things pretty quick. It's, it's a pretty high curve right away of the learning so but yeah just maybe not on the usefulness scale but yeah you're learning the words you're learning the the words you're learning the terms yeah (laughs) but yeah so just just pay attention you know let let your ego go a little bit and understand that there's people that have been doing this longer than you and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know it's not you don't have to win everything all the time so i'd say that at white um for muay thai i'd say I'd say beginner level student, you know, white, yellow, if you were thinking about using like the ranking system like we have, mm-hmm. I would say just focus on your, on what the coaches are trying to show you and try not to rush things. Try to just focus on the little details because what happens a lot of times when it comes to striking, people get very overzealous and tend to forget about the things that when done slowly don't seem to matter but when done at full speed, make all the difference in the world. So I would say focus on the little things is the big thing and go slow because a lot of time, and this is the same for jujitsu, I guess, is uh, one of my favorite Dan and Osanto quotes. Most people try to hide their inadequacies with speed. And so if, if you don't feel like you know what you're doing, don't go fast to get there. <laughs> so um, blue belt, uh, I would say for jujitsu, it's uh, understand that you know your learning is about to change a little. It's going to become a lot more subtle, and it's not the wins aren't going to seem as big, and the losses will for some reason seem a lot bigger. So you know, and what I mean by that is those these are the hits your ego are going to take during training. The in competition, I think honestly, for a lot of people, I think blue belt is actually easier for people once they get to that level. For those that do compete, because I think they've come to a if they are competitors, I think often they'll usually feel more adept to doing actual jujitsu and not just running into like crazies sometimes and feeling like you're in an actual street self defense situation. <laughs> so, um, I would say so, yeah, so blue belt is. Keep focusing on that and start to discover what what you like about it and start trying to build those pathways for your game because that's where things that you did as that you started to like as a white belt are going to start becoming cemented into your game at, at throughout blue. 
Um, I'd say for intermediate level, kind of like beginner intermediate level for Muay Thai, you know, that kind of orange, green, blue-ish rank time there, I'd say start focusing on, you know, getting used to training on your own, getting used to hitting the bag, getting used to doing things that most people don't like to do, the shadow boxing, the, you know, the pulling someone aside and doing pads is always fun, but doing solo work is a big thing that I think people tend to forget about because they tend to be like, I know how to spar now. I want to do this. I want to do this. And you very quickly will um, lose the good habits that you spent a lot of time working on as a beginner at intermediate level if you get carried away with just having fun and just sparring all the time. So now don't, don't get me wrong. Sparring is good, but you should have constraints in your sparring I think to help bring out attributes that you're trying to develop, you know? So it's like similar to a lot of the stuff Hayden talks about with like the ecological approach to training and learning. So, um, so that's kind of what I'd say for that point is start, start, start thinking about that stuff, you know, and don't get caught up in trying to get ahead of yourself a little bit. Um, purple belt for jujitsu and say like, well, keep showing up for warmups is <laughs> for one, you know, and you're getting to a point now where you, you should have a pretty good understanding of what you like and what is your game. Keep doing that and start focusing on how to find other options off of your core paths is what I would say. Cause I think at purple belt, I knew at that time already that I was a triangle guy and it was around that time when I started realizing there were a lot of other ways I could get to triangles or ways that I could get to other moves when they started defending out of them. When I started working on the troubleshooting aspect of my game and dealing with people's reactions to what I was doing, that's when I felt like I was able to start elevating things and putting chaining things together better. So I would say start looking for other options and other pathways off of so it's like smaller branches off of your core branches um for muay thai i would say if you haven't by now you definitely need to start embracing the clinch <laughs> and start working on that a lot um i would say you should be getting to a point where your level of proficiency and the way you spar is far more playful and like you can go way closer to full speed while having a lot of fun and you should kind of be able to still do all that and then have the know-how to understand what you need from your training a little bit, which sounds kind of crazy to think at like a intermediate to advanced level. But like at, at this point, I would say in Muay Thai, you would have been training for about a good few, like four years at this point, maybe, you know, it's when you get to about this level, like three to four years. And so it's like you kind of know what you should be doing at this point right now and continuing on with keeping up with the basics, keeping up with the small things like the shadow boxing, jumping rope, the road work, you know, the things that people don't like to do, but embracing that side of it. If you really want to fight and compete and do that, that's so huge. Cause just like any combat sport, cardio is your best friend or your worst enemy, depending on how you decide to treat that lovely lady. <laughs> so, um, and then Brown, um, well, if you're like me, I would say when you get to brown, go back to using your top game because <laughs> it's fun. 
<laughs> but I think at Brown Belt, like you, you really, you're so close. Your journey's there. And when I say so close, that could still mean like years away, but don't get hung up on the fact that like you're close to the next, to the final belt. Like it, it can get really easy to do that and feel kind of confident and kind of like boasted about your skills. But then you can go to a tournament and get subbed by a blue belt. Like I've had, I, as a blue belt beat a brown belt in a tournament in an absolute division one time. And like, it was fun. I had a blast, but like, I also then have had training sessions as a brown belt where I'm getting my, you know, my butt handed to me by some of these guys. Like, I'm like, how are you not a purple or even that or higher or whatever? And it's just like, you come to the realization really quickly that like, yeah, belts are cool, but like you take a super highly competitive blue belt and throw them against a hobbyist black belt. I think we all know how that's going to go. Like, you know, it's, it's not the same. Like there's so many levels to jujitsu now in particular, because you got competitors, you got the, you got the hobbyists you got people that are like the real competitors that are like actually traveling for tournaments, not just doing a bunch of local stuff and driving. Like you got the real ones that are doing that. And so yeah, watch, watch blue belt worlds. Exactly. And like, watch, pay attention to how well they're moving and this and yeah. you go, ah, I'm, I'm a blue belt like that guy. Huh? Mm-hmm. Oh. Exactly. Okay. You feel that you, f- you find out pretty quickly and you realize that like as cool as your belt is, you know, it's doesn't, it's not everything. It's cloth. So, yeah, exactly. The old, the old adage that, uh, your belt protects two inches of your waist and it's up to you to protect the rest. You know, I've not heard that. I like that. Oh, for real? I yeah. like that a lot. Well, I think the actual one is it, your belt covers two inches of your ass. It's up to you to cover the rest. I like that better. It's vulgar. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, mm. but yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's the truth though, honestly, like, and that's what I, what I feel like now at getting to black ball it's like it really doesn't matter that much because i like i said i still got guys out here you know going with you know ryan earlier he's a 150 pound he might not even be a purple belt yet and he gives me as tough a go sometimes as any black belt in this room is that the guy i got the picture of probably yeah i think oh yeah when he he sent sent me yeah yeah, that one yeah that guy it's on the internet already so yeah love it (laughs) (laughs) always it was a killer takedown it was good hell yeah and then um, I'd say then, so like when you get to that, that top level from Muay Thai, um, I'd say if you're not competing, like if you're, if you're of able body and you know, mind, and that is something that has crossed your mind at some point, I would recommend trying it at least one time, even if it's just some, doing something like a smoker, because it, it helps solidify what you're learning and kind of puts it into context. It's like, you can go spar all day, but it's a little different when you have someone that's legitimately trying to like put your lights out, you know? And, and we try to make that very distinctively different. And you don't have to do a fight. I'm just saying, but like, but I would, I don't know. It's, I feel kind of weird saying this cause I also understand that I want Muay Thai and martial arts to be available for everybody. So I try sure. not to have it be that like, it's only for fighters. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if you are, are reaching that point, that means, and, and cause in our system, if you get to like to Brown rank, you've been training for probably at least six, seven years at this point, 
you know, and it's like, you don't have to fight, but if you're in your twenties, you know, early thirties or something, and you're thinking about it or it's something that's crossed your mind, I would say do one, you know, just for the sake of like finding out what you've been doing, if it works, if it doesn't, you know, cause you kind of know a lot by that point you should, but otherwise, if you're not, if that's not the route though, that you're wanting to do, but you want to continue to be, you know, moving at that advanced level, I would say try to just keep working on the things that, you know, it's just like we talked about earlier. It's like, go back to the beginning, work on the things that you haven't done or consider traveling for an opportunity to go learn from someone, you know, go on a vacation and go check out a gym somewhere or go go to Thailand for a little bit of time if you can or something like, I know that sounds extreme, but Mm -hmm. like it's, one of those things that like you should explore and try to learn from as many people as you can. One thing I've always been very much in the mindset is learn from everybody. Like don't just write off someone or anything. Cause like what might even seem like a BS technique might be BS, but maybe that person has trained it enough times that they can do it and it's not BS or maybe it's, you know, there's a variation of that move that can actually be something that can be really effective down the line for you or something like that. So, so go back to the beginning and and fill your gaps, but also go back to the beginning and accept you might not know where your gaps are. Exactly. Yeah. You don't, you don't know what you don't know even still. Yeah. So, man, I feel like I've been just rambling. (laughs) That's that's what podcasts are. Yeah. (laughs) All right, brother. Anything else? What do you think? Uh, no, just list, list the address of the gym, maybe. Yeah, so Burnsville <laughs> Martial Arts Academy. Uh, we are located in Burnsville. The address is 11921 Portland Avenue, um, Burnsville, Minnesota, 55337. <laughs> for those that are really looking for your GPS, right um, off Cliff, which is right off 35, easy access. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got uh, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, MMA, Kali. You know, a little bit of everything. Uh, massage recovery stuff yes. going in there, Dr. too? Dr. Robin, uh, yeah. move forward physiotherapy. Uh, Dr. Robin is a physiotherapist, got a, has a PhD. And so Robin was uh, working at TRIA before uh, opening up her own practice and had came out with us to the TBA, Thai Boxing Association's national tournament a couple years ago when she was kind of figuring things out, realized she loved working with athletes and started working out of our lobby at the old space, but had about 10 square feet to work with. So yeah. I was trying to think of where that would have been. It was over not there. happening for yeah. some people. It was rough, but, but then we moved this in the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we gave, uh, we got a spot. So Robin's in there and that's awesome. Cause Robin trains, uh, Robin's, um, husband, Tom does all of our social media and he's one of oh, our okay. blue belts. So gotcha. So there's yeah. a connection there too. Yep. So, so they're, they're married and everything. So we got, it's really cool. We dedicated got a, team going on. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so nice. And you know, I'm just, again, so lucky cause I've had so many injuries and now I have literally one of the best people that I could ever ask for. And I have the yep. ability to, you know, just help and get get better so and i think that's huge because anybody that does bjj and has gone to pt or gone to a doctor and anybody that does muay thai i would assume the same you try to describe what you're doing how it happened and what you're looking to keep doing yeah. and most of the time you're getting confused stares yeah. you know and well they, and that's like it because like robin's business is like cash only like her whole thing was i'm not trying to put her laundry out there but mm-hmm. like she got like many other people pretty frustrated yep. with the healthcare system yeah she's not know? wrong and you know 
she was trying, she was getting forced to have to see 20 to 24 patients a day, right. you know, just to meet just insurance like, standards and all this nonsense. And yeah. it's like, this is not helping. And so she opened up her own cash PT, you know, they're right there with us. And then it's like, what's great is cause then our students have this awesome connection. Cause Robin also used to be like a strength conditioning coach. Yep. She was a personal trainer. So mm-hmm. now Robin's doing strength conditioning workouts for our fighters. I'm getting strength conditioning stuff to help me with like my janky knees, my and everything. Like yeah. yeah. Janky everything. So, but, uh, it's cool. Cause then our students are like, if something goes wrong, it's like, well, this is the person your doctor would have sent you to go see. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. Depending on who your insurance company was. So like, it's definitely a better way just to have direct access. Yeah. Way better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's also a really cool fit, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, but yeah, I guess last thing I just want to say is, I mean, huge shout out and thank you to all my coaches, teammates, you know, I, there's so many people, but like the big ones, you know, like Ray, Dan, Mario, Greg, you know, just all these people that have been here and helped me along the way and, you know, through the adversity with like the injuries and stuff and figuring all that shit out and Nikita, you know, without her, I... I don't know where I'd be without any of this right now, without that. So I thought you were gonna make me have to bring it up. Nah, good dude, man, I'm, good man. <laughs> no, no, she is. Uh, she is the whole. She is the glue for all of this, and helps keep me keep me on point with everything, and helps remind me what what the important things really are sometimes. So, good. so yeah, so so her and all the coaches, all the teammates, all the people along the way. And you, man, appreciate you letting me speak my story a little bit. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me use your gym to record all the time. Yeah, of course, dude. You're always welcome to. <laughs> thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Pohada Podcast. And hey, if you're a regular listener, head on over to the Pohada Podcast on Instagram, where amongst the ridiculous memes, you'll find a link to the merch shop and be able to keep up with the disorganized going-ons of the show. And hey, before you go, here's a little preview of an upcoming episode. My come up was obviously more so on the mixed martial arts side, right? I started, uh, my first exposure to martial arts was in 2009. Uh, I started training jiu-jitsu over at Guerrilla Combat in Chanhassen, Minnesota. Um, Instantly got hooked. I uh, went to college in 2011. uh, Wrestled at the Minnesota State University of Mankato for all of half a year and then i met dan moret dan moret uh introduced me to the mankato mma club so it wasn't even like uh it was kind of it was on campus right room ph 104 uh <laughs> i uh i met him because he would actually do like some cross training with the wrestlers as well so i met him and he was basically he was telling me about mixed martial arts and he um invited me to a couple of their practices and the classic answer is honestly i fall right into it is i i got to wrestle and i got to punch people in the face 